Guys, welcome back to yet another episode of Rabbit Hole Stories. We had Margot on the show today. Uh, we went down and explored uh, how she got into Bitcoin um, and some struggles that she has had to endure in um, institutions, particularly around education, because I know she was doing uh, a PhD. I don't know if she's still doing that or not, but there's been some politics and... Um, she shared with us um, her experience about how difficult it can be to promote Bitcoin um, in in institutions and they're kind of set in their ways a little bit. Um, so that was quite an interesting insight into the whole educational system. Joelle, would you agree? Yes, and I think what was very insightful as well is something I always speculated, like the, um, you know, that scientists get censored if they don't um, agree on a certain point or whatever. Um, but she really gave us a couple of insights there, a couple of events. Um, it was also a very pleasant chat to hear someone from the very pro-environmental um, Bitcoin world. She's not a nutter, so she's not going out like, oh, stop using fossil fuels, whatever. She has very sensible points, I think. We also had a brief part in the discussion where we spoke about um, the, the the coal fossil fuel Bitcoiners. Um, and so they have their, their fun fights sometimes on Twitter, but everyone comes together on the common ground, which is Bitcoin. Um, and I think it'll be a good episode for everyone in that world and trying to expand um, what it looks like. Yeah, you know, she's a physicist and... Um I like to think that she understands more than than I do <laughs> about the environment and 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 the impact on these things in the world. So it's it's it's, it's lovely having people with mm. um, that insight and education, um, and they're you know enduring their own struggles within the institutions. And they're they're trying to break the mold. So we need to sort of rally behind these people. I think in Bitcoin um, because we need them on side to um, do what's right and that's um, to sort of educate people around Bitcoin and its impact on the environment um, so I can just see my cat nearly knocking this camera down so before it does let's jump down the rabbit hole with Margot enjoy guys welcome Margot and it's cool to have you here on rabbit hole stories how has your day been so far my day has been good it's been relaxing I took the morning off did a little yoga <laughs> nice yeah doing a self-care day was it like in that show Parks and Rec where the, they're like, treat yourself. <laughs> so one of my morning yeah. today is I'm going to treat myself. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. I love I love self-care days. I wish there's more of them available, yeah. to be honest. There's nothing um, better in my mind just to have a lazy morning under the duvet, mm -hmm. maybe watching a bit of rubbish TV <laughs> and uh, maybe also doing a bit of yoga, stretching, you know, go to the gym spend some time outside yeah, there's nothing like it I'm, I'm happy for you that you did that well done thank you yeah seemed like a good day <laughs> <laughs> good. was it a day off of twitter or nostal of these things for you or were you still online no i'm still online but mostly just not doing work first thing or usually i exercise in the morning but uh, today i decided to do just yoga because i <laughs> I did a really intense arm workout where I had to like hold my arms like this <laughs> and they're really sore still. So <laughs> I thought, okay, maybe I'll take it easy. Let them recover. <laughs> I always nice. find the, it's not the day after I do an intense workout, but it's the day after the day after where I hurt the most. Yeah, but um, that's why stretching and yoga is important. It, it, it helps with that. Yeah, it felt really good. So I was, I was glad I made that choice. <laughs> Good, good, good. Anyway, we digress. <laughs> we're here, we're here um, with Margot. And um, as, as you probably know, Margot, we're interested in people's rabbit hole stories. We want to know um, how people discovered Bitcoin. And once they discovered it, what was that moment where they're like, I'm going to stay in this space because there's something important here. Um, and obviously you're um, quite active in the space. Um, particularly around um, the conversations with Bitcoin, energy, environmentalism. So we, we can go into that as well, which we'll, we'll go into later in the episode. But if you want to spend just a couple of minutes just um, giving us an introduction to how you fell down this Bitcoin rabbit hole. Hmm. Well, it's kind of a long story, but I'll, I'll try to keep it short. I mean, I first learned about Bitcoin in the early 2010s, and uh, I think mostly around... WikiLeaks using uh, using mm. Bitcoin and Bitcoin was at the Occupy movement, mm. and 
Uh, but I really didn't understand it too well. I wasn't really that tuned in with the monetary system or the need for a different type of currency. I really actually <laughs> thought it would be better if we had no money. So that was my opinion at the time. And later on in 2018, though, I started seeing people being deplatformed from content creator websites. And mm. And it was people from different backgrounds, you know, didn't matter their political orientation, but if there was a, a motivation or a vendetta against that person, uh, they could easily be deplatformed. It tends to be kind of arbitrary and it's really about companies just trying to, you know, save their reputation, you know, and appeal to the average. So, or appeal to their venture capitalist investors. So, you know, that started happening and I realized that there were really only two ways for you to make money online with and accept credit cards. That was with Stripe or PayPal. And if you were deplatformed from those, then you really had no opportunity to do that. And a lot of people depend on these small dollar donations. So that's when I thought, well, okay, there's Bitcoin, right? I knew, I know about that. I know something about it, but maybe this would be useful. So I actually built, um, a content creator platform and integrated BTC Pay server, and oh, nice. and that's how I started getting into Bitcoin. Was just this idea that we needed um, a different set of payment rails that existed outside the existing monetary system, one where a person could not be deplatformed. Nobody could say whether you could use it or not. And I really valued that a lot. And being a child of the internet. I, growing up around computers, I, I, the internet basically instilled these kinds of values into me just by using the internet. This, you know, the philosophy of open access, freedom, freedom of expression, all that is a really big part of what the internet and the World Wide Web was about, especially early on. So that made it really easy for me to finally get into Bitcoin when I did. In 2018, and then it was, in, and then in 2020, that's when I started thinking more about the environmental side because I had switched from, I, I changed my research around to work on climate change and had basically committed my entire life to working on the issue, completely changed my trajectory, and started thinking about whether, you know, using Bitcoin actually was ethical for me given my my stance on the climate. So that pushed pushed me further to research Bitcoin's energy use. And that's really how I ended up here. Long story short, it got me to this point that that asking those questions about whether it was ethical um, got me to where I am now, being a fellow at the Bitcoin Policy Institute and doing this kind of research. That's brilliant. And sorry, Gonjua. Can you remember the moment when um because you get that touch base, um, and I guess it's like an inner conflict, because you go down the, the climate change side, and on the other side, you go like, well, I'm kind of using Bitcoin, isn't it counter-narrative? What was the moment where you went like, oh, there is actually quite a lot of probably undiscovered um, research where I could dive my head into, and um, that you actually realized it is actually a net good, if you obviously um, build on a certain standard, I would say. We can probably go into that a bit later on. What was that moment for you? Let me think about that. Well, I think I think the moment was probably around when I started to understand the long-term trajectory of Bitcoin mining in terms of the electricity use and the cost and what is what are the main drivers of the miners' behavior. And when I realized that they had to look out, they had to search for the cheapest co cost electricity, I think that's when I realized, okay, this is this isn't so bad because the, the around that time, and I think in 2019, Carbon Brief put out a study that said that the cheapest electricity was now solar energy, solar power. And, and I thought, well, that means only one thing, that Bitcoin miners are going to have to go towards uh, energy resources like that or wasted energy. So that, that gave me a sense that this could actually be useful and that it wasn't as bad as people made it out to be. And 
even though there were problems and situations where minors were not thinking about the environment and their choices, that in the long term, minors wouldn't really have a choice. They would have to do the right thing. So yeah, it was it was really in that in that moment when I realized it. And then all of a sudden everything started clicking in my head, you know, it was like one thing after the other and it was just this endless realization of this is if this is okay, then there's really a lot that we can do with Bitcoin. Mm. This is, in my opinion, why we need people like you in Bitcoin. We need people um, who are environmentalists, who understand uh, the science behind environmentalism and global warming. Um, and you being a Bitcoiner yourself and invested not only emotionally, but obviously, I'm, I'm assuming you've got some some Bitcoin behind your belt as well in terms of, you know, you've invested in it with, with your own money. Your, your, your interest in Bitcoin and the environment, uh, and you being a fellow at, at this institute, um, is is allowing advocacy for environmentalism uh, in in the Bitcoin space. Um, so we need we need people who are environmentalists because I think there's quite a lot of people out there that don't really care about the environment. I care about the environment. Um, Joel, you you as well. And we've discussed this more than once. And there's a lot of discourse. There's a lot of debate. There's a lot of um, different narratives being thrown around about the environment. Um, so, you know, thank you uh, for the, the work that you do. Um, and um, I enjoy the articles that you you write and it educates me about the environment, things that I never knew before. So, you know, not only now I'm, I'm invested in Bitcoin, I'm invested in all the things that it impacts. And you can go down a variety of different rabbit holes. Um, and you're in two, if you like. You're in the environment rabbit hole as well as the Bitcoin rabbit hole. And I, I imagine you're trying to build a bridge between the two. Would I be right in saying that? Yes, a tr trying is definitely the key word in that sentence. <laughs> we are trying. I'm not the only one trying these days, which is really great. But it's it's a big challenge to try to connect the two communities on and I'll be the first to say that sometimes it feels completely fruitless, <laughs> like yeah. we're not ever going to reach them. It, and it's not even so much that we want to convince them that Bitcoin is great or that they should be orange pilled, but it's mostly like even just at bare minimum to get them to even consider some of our points and mm -hmm. to think a little bit differently rather than trying to just punish Bitcoin or shame people who use it. But instead, you know, it would be great if we could get them to at least consider how we could uh, make them, uh, how we could get them to, uh, to, to change their tactics so that they mm -hmm. would uh, try to, you know, gently push Bitcoin in, in a more sustainable direction, if that's the goal, you know. So we just don't have that. We don't even have that common ground where we can have that discussion. So it's challenging, but yeah, trying to be that bridge and takes a lot of patience. And sometimes mm. I, I fail at that too, admittedly. Mm. So it's, it's hard. Well, this is why you need self-care days in yoga, right? Yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I guess it's also hard because um, my personal experience is when I talk about, you know, stranded energy, renewable energies, everyone is sort of hyping it up. And the moment you just mention Bitcoin, sort of everyone freezes and you sort of feel the, the vibe in the room changing. And that's pretty interesting because I'm going, well, it uses all of these benefits. I just spoke about 15 seconds ago. But just because I said that one word, it sort of, it flips the switch in the back of their head that they go, oh no, I don't want to be in touch with this. Um, yeah. Which I guess is what you see with like the whole Greenpeace FUD um, or change the code FUD, whatever you want to call it. Because um, it's quite remarkable. Um, I think the only thing keeping it alive are Bitcoiners essentially. So <laughs> maybe if we would shut up all for a month, maybe the whole thing would vanish. We don't know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think, I think most of the... The change the code Twitter profiles mm. followers are Bitcoiners. <laughs> mm. 
Right. <laughs> that campaign's not going too well for them. <laughs> no. No, it backfired a little bit, I would yeah. say. Yeah. <laughs> Just a little. Um, what, I to, what I was interested in asking you, Marco, is because I know recently um, you were doing um, or still doing um, a PhD um, in environmentalism. And um, what I was interested in trying to find out from you is how how have you found the institutions um and their um supportiveness of of bitcoin in the work that you do in the space not very supportive <laughs> a yeah, lot that was, my, that was my assumption <laughs> i mean first of all i think a lot of academics don't understand bitcoin i think that's a given but also they read the New York Times and they yeah. read, you know, the FUD and mm -hmm. that, that's their main, that's what they really think Bitcoin is. It's just a lot of the negative press. That's, that's all they really interact with. So there's a lot of layers there and it's hard to get them to see past that because they're like, well, it's, in, you know, it was in the New York Times. It was this this peer-reviewed article it was which was you know generally are all written by Alex DeVries and his co and his cohort so mm -hmm. so that's the that's the problem um but yeah not really receptive i mean i i had my own challenges with my advisor in the department and so Sorry it's to hear that. It, yeah it's a uh, you know it's it's not easy i think that there are actually people in the university who are professors even who are bitcoiners but they they keep it a secret and i know mm. a few of them because they've told me personally on twitter they're like yeah i'm a i'm in this so and so department but nobody knows i use a fake account you know i use an anonymous account on twitter and so because you know there's just too much backlash around bitcoin so yeah it's unfortunate that people have to keep it a secret because they're worried that they could be fired for it. On the other hand, you know, climate activists also come under a lot of pressure at the academy too for being activists. And I know right. of two climate scientists who, one who was fired and the other who was under ethical investigation for standing up at a very, very well-known conference in the climate geological sciences uh, community you know this this conference is called AGUs the American Geophysical Union conference and it's a big deal i mean you, it's like anything planetary related whether it's you know you know astronomy or climate change or whatever climate science that that's the kind of conference that 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 is it covers those issues and and these right. two scientists two climate scientists got up on stage and un unveiled a banner saying something like, you know, we needed to basically get out, get out of the labs and get into the streets and protest. And right. because they did that, they were, they got in serious trouble. Like I said, it almost feels mm -hmm. like the film in 80 days around the world where like the Academy is trying everything that like the main character doesn't fulfill his mission which if you think about it, doesn't that go against any or every ethos in the scientific world? Like doesn't science live off debate, um, trying to find different approaches and solutions? That's quite, so they didn't even say like buy Bitcoin essentially on the science. They just sit there and f spoke openly about saying, let's cha challenge the open narratives and think about different solutions to think. Wow, that's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They were just, it was just a call to action to their fellow scientists saying, now it's enough of us hiding in our laboratories. We need to be out in the streets and demanding change around climate change. And they got in big trouble for it. But the academy, the universities are, are really not designed, I think, for free thinking as much as right. we think that they are. And that is a lesson that I learned um, as a graduate student is that there is much more. It's very, it's very political, very much like you need to follow orders and not dissent mm. because if you do, we will root you out and we will make your life miserable or we will stop you from advancing in your career. And it's really unfortunate that that happens 
at the university because it's really counter to what the university should be. And I think maybe, you know, at some point, universities really were much more free in that mm. regard. But times have changed. <laughs> yeah, you would think because yeah. if you look back, let's take the Internet as, as an example. The Internet was literally, I mean, it sort of had its backstory with like the military and all of these things. But it thrived in like an academic environment and it was highly accepted very early on. So you would think that these kind of people would also accept um, the technology behind Bitcoin. But I guess that was a different generation looking back now. So you're right yep. in like the 32 years that developed. It, hmm. it was a different generation. It, it also, they were physicists, which as a mm. physicist, I'm going to say, you know, we are a little bit different and maybe a little... We, we think a little differently from other people. But uh, also the other important point is that it was invented by academics, I think. And so, and it was invented, you know, uh, with kind of, I think, approval from government funding and whatever, whereas Bitcoin is something that was invented or discovered outside of the academic world certainly rooted in the findings in the literature around cryptography, of course, but it didn't come out of a laboratory or a research group or from a professor. It was, you know, an anonymous person or a group of anonymous people that released it on a mailing list online. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's a very yeah. different thing. And I think that that also makes it harder for academics to accept as well it's frustrating that in academia you've got um academics relying on a mainstream media outlet for their content and and for their understanding of the world they should be more critical and curious being in academia um but hearing you talk about it it, it does make sense that it becomes almost this kind of institution with its own set of ethics and and uh, rules and it's then hard to break free from that confine if you're talking about something as abstract as as bitcoin is um which makes me question um scientific data it makes me question like, particularly from central authorities and how reliable or neutral or unbiased it is um is that something you've come across in in your scientific world about curious scientific um studies yeah i mean as an undergrad doing science, I was exposed to a little bit of controversy around peer review when I was at JPL at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory, which is one of the NASA facilities in the US. And it was around this concept of the origins of life. And there was a geochemist who worked in the science building and he, had, he was the editor of a really controversial journal and they had really, uh, really controversial ideas about how life began on the planet. Mm. And, uh, you know, it's very hard to get stuff like that published in mainstream journals because it's not mm. accepted. It's really heterodox. And I mm. think that's, you know, I didn't really realize at the time to, you know, what, ex you know, what, the implications of that really meant overall for the scientific field in terms of advancing research and being open to change. Mm -hmm. Another thing that happened was also related to this. So this was all in astrobiology because I was there as an astrobiology instrumentation intern. And there was another, uh, there was a group that was studying uh, they were studying these extremophiles in, I think, Mono or Moro Lake, something like that in California. It was a very, very interesting lake. And there were these extremophiles, which are just, you know, um, like microorganisms that live in very hostile environments, extreme environments. Right. And they thought that they had discovered that they had a DNA backbone that was different from, you know, most biology. And I forget what what it was what was the element that was replaced like it was like a phosphorus for arsenic or something like that anyway mm. they gave a presentation about this at one of these big conferences and they were i mean they were ripped apart and eventually they were completely discredited and 
I know, I'm not sure exactly, but it really affected their careers. They might have been wrong. You know, they might have been wrong. Maybe their methodology wasn't right, but the blowback that they got was really, really extreme. So this is the kind of environment mm. that real science is like, you know, it is not right. It can be very hostile. And if you have a different right. opinion, you can you can really suffer a lot of reputational damage if you're not careful. So, right. you know, I didn't none of that really registered for me at the time in terms of, you know, what the what broader implications were of hearing about these stories. But now that I'm, you know, now that I've, I'm being, you know, I do all this Bitcoin work and I've mm -hmm. made it this far in my career to the PhD, you know, passing my, doing all the requirements and the qualifications and getting to the thesis point and just being in this world long enough. Now I see, you know, uh, how, how dangerous that can be to for people who are trying to do something that's a little bit different yeah because it's the fear at the, at the end of the day the only real weapon they have um is fear because people are scared of hey if i say this and what really blows my mind is it's not even they're saying like buy, again buy bitcoin on a signal or whatever it's just hey maybe there's a different approach to things um which you would think especially um um, physicists or also biologists, in, from my understanding, would appreciate. Um, can you remember what, what what kind of the different narrative in their um, approach or their journal uh, was? Was it was it 180 degrees completely different to what we usually know or read, or was it just something in particular in the evolution of humankind where, which they questioned? Well, I think it had to do with uh, how spontaneous it. Uh like the spontaneous organization of the various elements that we find or, or organelles that we find in a cell or like DNA, for example, and RNA. And if I recall, this is a while ago for me, but uh, there's these vents, these geothermal vents underground in the ocean. And I think one of the theories, so the theory is like that the conditions were possible there were like these reactions that were possible in these geologic formations or i think around these vents hydrothermal vents so i guess there's something about that that's a little controversial mm. and it it was it's not really accepted and yeah mm. he had he he had this journal and yeah. I, and and it was not very well regarded. So, I mean, what 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 should be known is that there is so much unknown that we are yet to to learn um, about every, the world in, in which we live, and we're obviously uh, creating more and more technologies and, and advancing technologies, and with the Bitcoin mining side of, and using renewable energies because we're incentivized to seek out cheap or free electricity. Um, so, with with that in mind. What what uh, work have you seen that's positive towards um, what Bitcoin miners are doing in 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 the mining space, and um, what work is there yet to be done? Uh, yeah, well, there, there's always a lot of work to be done, but I am seeing mm. good things in terms of mining companies that are thinking more of themselves as like a vertically integrated energy company. Mm -hmm. And okay. they're using Bitcoin as part of their renewable energy portfolio to, to basically create um, a floor for their revenue. So there's a problem with solar and wind in that they, you know, regionally, if you have a lot of solar farms in the same location, they're all going to produce the same amount of power at the same time. There's really no... Right no way to compete in that regard so you're all all of them are going to be selling their solar at the same time and for the same price so that can really eat at their revenue and if they're if too much comes online too fast they might have modeled that well you know we're, we're going to have to curtail some of our power which means we're just going to have to waste it can't sell it and the grid operator might may say to them well we forecast that you're only going to have to curtail 10% of your power pr production. But then once they get connected to the grid, the operator might say, well, you know, we redid our forecast and actually you're going to have to curtail 20%. 
And now it's like, well, okay, that's going to cut into my my return on investment. Mm -hmm. My investors aren't going to be happy. Uh, maybe it's cheaper to just let this sit like a stranded asset, you know. So being able to use Bitcoin mining in that regard can create a floor in terms of revenue. So that way you, you minimize that risk. So there are Bitcoiners who are working in the industry who are thinking like this and who are actually reaching out to other energy producers to get them to co-locate a Bitcoin miner, for example. And there's there's others that are actually trying to set up solar farms with battery, like a solar mm -hmm. farm with battery, for example, and, and optimize between selling to the grid, running a Bitcoin miner, or charging a battery. And I think that's really cool because there's some potential there to actually offset a, a natural gas peaker plant using that model. And if you can monetize that when the power is not necessary for the grid using Bitcoin miners, you, you're now incentivizing the reduction of emissions on those marginal generators, mm -hmm. uh, which is, uh, you know, something people have been talking a lot about. Like basically, you know, when we, when we say like margin, marginal emissions or marginal generator generation, it's all really, these these um, power producers come online whenever there's a change in in demand. So that's right. that's what the marginal aspect is about. So if you can replace those with something that's low carbon intensive, like a solar and battery combination, and monetize that with Bitcoin mining, but now you've reduced those marginal emissions that people are talking about, and that's a net win for everybody. So. Those are the things that really excite me in the mining space is hearing mm -hmm. these stories and seeing that people are trying to do that, as well as the, you know, mitigating methane emissions. You know, that's really cool and, and really important, especially because uh, methane is turning out to be a really important gas, much more important than we realized in terms of the, the warming impact and, and the near, okay. near term impact. So, yeah, those are the things that excite me. There's a lot of work to do, and it's all very, 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 very new. And it's just really exciting to be part of such a young and young and exciting industry. Can I ask you about these numbers we constantly reading, like how much of the whole mining industry is already adopting the renewable side? I think it fluctuates between, I'm going by like Daniel Batten's numbers. So I'm going with like mm -hmm. 52 to I think 59, 58 something percent. Um, and we read about the 6% adoption in renewables per year. In your opinion, is that re a realistic number? Because that would mean five, even 10 years into the future, um, it could be a fully renewable um, industry with all of these benefits you just listed. Or are we far off there? Because like sometimes in the Bitcoin media, they tend to hype a lot of stuff up that is not always paying out to be true completely. Yeah, there's a lot of hype. I don't I don't I haven't had time to really go over Daniel's mm. numbers, so I can't really speak one way or another on them. I know that he's spoken with a lot of mining companies and so he's basing it off of that. But I do think though in the long term, yeah, we should see Bitcoin miners decarbonize on their own and moving towards wasted or curtailed power or integrating within the energy industry as they are starting to do now, I think that there, there will still be flared gas mm. on, you know, in the network. And you can debate over how much some of that is actually mitigating emissions. But mm. overall, yeah, I mean, it'll be wasted energy at least. So it won't necessarily be... At least I think it won't necessarily be new fossil fuel generation. I don't think that's going to be very practical in the near term as the halving continues. So yep. it will be like wasted energy, fossil, wasted fossil fuel energy, or it'll be, you know, renewable curtailed power integration, this whole energy arbitrage, or it'll be you know, Bitcoin miners integrating into the electrical grid, which I think, mm. I, I think is going to be... Um, very competitive to do. So not everyone will be able to succeed at that. But the competition is really good. So that's a that's a net bonus for the network. 
keep makes it hard for I, I'm hoping it makes it hard for anyone to grow too big and monopolize too mm-hmm. much, mm-hmm. which is, you know, is the opposite of what we want when we're thinking about maintaining decentralization. So what are your thoughts then in stuff like um, the whole nuclear mining stuff? Because I read this and in the back of my head, it goes like, okay, but surely I see more potential, for example, in the methane gas emissions and all of these things. Um, what are your first thoughts if someone asks you this? I think it's great. I mean, I'm, I guess I would say I'm like an energy maximalist in terms of, mm-hmm. I like, I think all low carbon energy should be brought online as much as possible, mm-hmm. whether it's nuclear, geothermal, solar, wind, hydro, no, so long as it's sustainable, sustainably done and, and done in a way that minimizes the environmental impact, I think, I think we should do it. So I'm not opposed to nuclear I think there's a lot of really good things going on there with the small modular reactors and tying that with yeah. Bitcoin. Bitcoin can add flexibility to those uh, to those energy producers. So I think that's a really good thing too. In the short term, though, I mean, that's that industry is not at that you know exponential growth phase that yeah. we're seeing with solar and wind. So right now, you know, as great as all of the conversation is. The reality is that we can't meet our goals with nuclear at this moment. Mm-hmm. It's unfortunate because we could have. Mm-hmm. I think I think there was an opportunity where we, we could have actually made this whole energy transition a lot easier if we hadn't been so afraid of nuclear. I mean, there was a lot of fear around that nuclear war. And, and mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that that happened, but... We can't change the past. We can only change the future or, you know, figure, you know, make the future. So I'm hoping that we will see, you know, a kind of nuclear renaissance and that that will help us with our long term um, energy goals around climate change. It's really interesting. And and, and I'm thinking back to your original um, the way you got into Bitcoin. Am I right in thinking that really you were uh, kind of passionate about environmentalism um only then around 2018 or a couple of years after that um and because it seems like you've done a wealth of um studying and uh, reading because you're obviously very knowledgeable about energy and the environment um so it's obviously something that you've you've um taken a long time to understand um was that because of Bitcoin, or was that just a, a happy accident? Well, I, I think when I was studying at NYU, that was when I took a biology course called Principles of Biology, mm. and that was they had a module on climate change. It was they would do these modules like every week or so. They would change topics just so you would get a broad understanding of all of the areas of biology. Maybe it was more than, maybe it was like four week modules or something. And so they did one on climate change. And that was really the moment where I said, okay, yeah, this is, this is really important. This is real. Uh, and I have to take it seriously. But at the time, I really didn't, at the time, there wasn't as much urgency because this was like uh, around 2009 when mm-hmm. I, took that course and okay. and the the IPCC reports were not as intense as they are now so it was more like the urgency at that time was around getting people to say yes climate change is real because there was a lot of the most of the discussion at the time was is it real is it not and that was the mm. debate so their main objective was just to get us all to realize this is real. So that really, I guess you could say, planted the seed for me. And then it, in 2015 or so, I started thinking more about it. And then in 2016, when Donald Trump was elected president, Emmanuel Macron, who's the president of France, he's not doing too well in the, over there right now. Popularity not too is well at all. sinking. No. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, at the time, he got up and made a video and said, climate scientists in the United States, please come to 
France, where we believe in climate change and we're trying to work on solutions, you can come and work with us. And they had this application form and any scientists could apply for it. And I remember sitting in my first year of my PhD in the physics department uh, with other graduate students. And we were talking about this video and I looked at it and, and went through the application and I thought, well, I would love to do this, but I'm just a first year in physics. I have nothing to offer. I can't do anything. I'll just, I, I just have to accept my fate that there's nothing that I can do. Mm. But then I just, you know, I, that was always there with me subconsciously. And, and then in 2018, I realized, okay, this is really important. I, I have to do something. I don't know what. And that's really how I got into being a climate activist and changing my life and switching departments. I, I realized that the politicians and governments, they were not going to, they were not going to do anything. So, um, Let's talk, if, if that's okay with you, a little bit about the whole Greenpeace um, situation at the moment and, and their narrative around um, environmentalism. Because my understanding, albeit limited about Greenpeace, is something I used to see adverts about on the TV when I was growing up and things like that. And I thought, oh, you know, they're, they're doing right by the environment and that's surely a good thing. And it was only when I came into Bitcoin and, and started to look um, under the hood with regards to environmentalism and energy usage in, in Bitcoin, where there was a lot of negative um, narratives uh, about Greenpeace. And it was only then I started to realize about, you know, uh, their approach and their grassroots origins and, and where they are, where they are now. Um, what, what is your understanding of, of, of Greenpeace? And do you have any strong opinions about what they're doing out there? In relation yeah. to the message they're putting out about environment, yeah, they seem very institutionalized at this point. I mean, they're a big, mm. really big NGO. They're very much tied to governments, and I think that it's hard to start off as a grassroots organization and grow that big and not be captured yeah. and influenced by the state, really, and yep. the, the the interests of of governments and. And I think that Greenpeace is an example. They're influenced by you know, certain players that dictate their motivations, whether they want to admit that or not. And, you know, for them, this is their day job. This is what they do. We're all sort of scrappy, you know, activists here in Bitcoin in, in our own ways. And we're not as we're not really well organized. We're not very well funded like they are. And. And it shows, you know, it shows in their motivations. I don't, you know, I don't really like all of their tactics that they've taken on in the past either. And now that I see what they've been doing around Bitcoin, it really also makes me go back and think about some of their tactics in the past and see them in a different light as well. And think about their, what really, what really is their motivation. And they are really conservative, I would say. In a lot mm -hmm. of ways, in and they are also very, very, very risk averse. But it's also kind of ironic to be so risk averse as well, because you're trying to protect what you already have, like the system. You don't want to disrupt it, but the system itself mm. is inherently unstable. So there's right. a little bit of a contradiction in in their line of thinking. I think so. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, they yeah. want they mean well, but they're they don't recognize that they're also doing harm in yeah. their approach. And I guess that goes all into like most of these now bigger organizations because that's one of the reasons, for example, I stopped talking about this stuff with my friends who are who have a very simple background as a similar background to you, like academia or um, you know, already very early activists in in like their the teenage lives and such. Um, and they sort of all became part of that that corporation who just shouts hypocrisy left, right, and center. Um, also, the Greenpeace stuff. Ian and I did a video earlier this week where um, 
I had to sort of pull myself together because we couldn't use a lot of the video. I was swearing quite a lot. And that's not really good <laughs> on YouTube. Well, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yes. <laughs> I had to beep out a lot of stuff in the edit. Um, mm. And on the one hand, what really annoyed me about the Greenpeace stuff, also at the skull of Satoshi, beautiful that it backfired for them. Um, but you sort of go like, oh, Bitcoin incentivizes an unfair system. It harms the planet. But you literally take a bribe from Ripple who has defrauded like retail investors to dump their tokens and give you 5 million bucks. I, I even read reports that apparently it's more than 5 million. That's a bit unsure, but I don't know. It's never been verified. But yeah, that, that's a crazy thing, isn't it? Like the hypocrisy, it shouts from all ends of the spectrum. But like we are the bad guys because we're really trying and change something in the world for the better good. Yeah. Yeah. So um wanted to curse a lot too. <laughs> over, <laughs> you can curse over, on the podcast, by the way. So. All that is, skull is Satoshi. <laughs> but no, not now. I'm fine now. But at first, yeah, I was really angry. Yeah, it's um, it's just um, it's a lot of not really thinking, systems thinking, I think. They're just very reactive in their, in their thoughts of these memes and, and infographics you see online where like the whole herd is shouting in one direction and there's maybe like one guy thinking well hang on if everyone is shouting in that direction something is wrong here maybe we even need to question our own narratives and from my experience that's what like the bitcoin community does quite well not everyone there's some groups who like ignore every fact thrown at their way if it doesn't suit their narratives but i think um we're very open to look at different discussion points and going like, oh, so there is a possibility to do it a different way. And I think that's lost in all of these active, big activism groups um, because they were captured by complete corruption or complete power, however you want to put it. There are quite a lot of um, Bitcoiners, though, that are... I, I, I've, I've come across them. I don't know about you, Margot, but like... I don't know what you're talking about. Yeah. Climate, <laughs> climate deniers and... Like, they never show up in my notifications and say things well, I can to imagine. me. <laughs> yeah. Do you know what? I might have to start doing something like that myself because um, I get sucked in sometimes and um, it's probably, um, yeah, I need to take a break from some of the narratives that are going out there because um, it's frustrating because, I mean, Bitcoin's for everyone, right? And um, no matter who you are, what you think, your ideology and things like that, it's a neutral thing. Um, but, yeah, there are some strange people in this space um, who believe strange things. Um, and and I suppose there is room for that and there's room for, you know, discussion and and disagreement and, and discourse and critical thinking and critical discussions because that's the only way we're going to make progress, right? But in my mind, some people are... Um, I was going to swear there, Joel, but I'm, I'm trying not to. Um, I can idiotic. beep it out. I mean, it's an easy edit. <laughs> yeah no i was just i was just on my rant about bitcoiners who frustrate me to be fair margot so if you've got anything to say about that or not it's, that's fine <laughs> some bitcoiners are as dogmatic and close-minded as the greenpeace people are that's for sure <laughs> right i have, yeah. I have yeah. encountered them too i think you know, Twitter doesn't really encourage discourse, so that's yes. a problem. And, it, you know, it, the algorithm encourages yelling and, and being angry at each other because that sells, the, those kind of emotions really sell very well. I mean, yes. YouTube yeah. algorithm is also the same, and you probably okay. pretty much make the same um, argument for newspapers. Mm -hmm. They're going mm -hmm. for clickbait, so I think that also drives the way that they frame the stories around Bitcoin and, and other things as well, you know. But yeah, yeah. I mean, but at, at the same time, I think what's different about Bitcoin is that we sort of have to accept that there are a diversity of opinions in this space. And <laughs> we're all here because we like Bitcoin. And we just yeah. kind of have to be like, well, Bitcoin is not, you know, it's a, it's a network that says anyone can use it. If you want to use it, you right. can. And yeah. I can't stop you just because we don't agree on a certain philo philosophical view or ideological view. And right. and it yeah. forces us to try to, I think, try to see beyond some of that and, and mm -hmm. work together. I mean, I like to, you know, 
fight a little bit with Steve Barber on Twitter and Steve and I, <laughs> Steve makes these tweets about right. That's the coal. mustache guy, right? Yeah. That's the guy with the beautiful mustache, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think he run, his company's called Upstream Hosting mm -hmm. or something like that. Sorry, Steve, I got mm. that wrong. But, you know, he makes these <laughs> tweets about, like, learn to coal or something like that. And he's got, right. he, he did this AI art of Greta with a bowl with of coal, <laughs> you know, of Greta Thunberg. <laughs> and, I mean, it cracks me up. Like, he's a really nice guy, you know, classic, yeah. nice Canadian guy who mm. grew up in the oil fields. And, and we have just really different life experiences. But at the same time, you know, we both care about bitcoin so i have to learn yeah. and he and i have to learn to get along as well to make sure that those particular goals are uh, come to fruition around bitcoin but and i think mm -hmm. it's healthy mm -hmm. i think it's healthy to learn to be forced to do that and it, that is missing right. outside of the bitcoin world it's you, missing you can't Definitely. choose you can't choose who jumps in the lifeboat with you you know you're you're, you're in that lifeboat huddled together yeah. um depends if you're on the you titanic just... like you and i would be lost Ian. <laughs> yeah we probably would be yeah but there's plenty of room on that bit of wood for him to climb up on right <laughs> kick leo well, off and take the take the door yeah, yeah let's kick him off yeah <laughs> yeah but like yeah like get on the on the lifeboat with all these people um we all agree that we're here and we're safe in in under bitcoin and we we understand what it is but yeah it's an interesting interesting point and that's what i meant earlier like there is a common denominator where like everyone knows okay if 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 shit hits the fan like if the white house puts out a horrendous report everyone sticks together and comes up and helps in their own field, whether that be mm. the mining thing, whether that be monetary policy experts. Um, that's sort of the common ground. And I think Margot made a very good point. That's missing in the worlds outside of Bitcoin. From yeah. my experience as well, especially in like the crypto world, they like to say like, oh, you know, we, we accept X, Y, and Z. But once like there is a little bit of fraction between them, it really breaks off very dramatically. And um, it becomes very, very nasty quickly. Um, so I think that's right. one of the things which I appreciate. Marco, I do want to ask you on one thing, because I remember um, you had an interview with Max, i um, going to botch his last name. Is it Galgliardi or his last? Oh, the energy yeah. Guy? Yeah. yeah, I don't know um, how to say his last name. <laughs> yeah, I'll link it in the show notes. <laughs> he has a weird last name. Gagliardi or something like something that. Something along those lines, yeah. <laughs> He's a nice guy. You were obviously, uh, I think, take quite a... Um, is it safe to say an anti-fossil fuel stand? And there are people who have been very successful with taking a very pro-fossil fuel stand, in particular Alex Epstein. Has Have you managed to set the debate with him or is he still chickening out? <laughs> well, last I heard was from the Bitcoin Miami organizers oh. last year, which was that he had agreed and had sent some conditions. Mm -hmm. But... Uh, I who never. Gets, why is he getting to set the conditions? Uh, anyway, go on, sorry, I guess because <laughs> I I challenged him. I don't know. Okay, fair enough. But I haven't heard anything since, so I have a feeling that it's mm. not going to happen. But <laughs> yeah, I mean, I would still do it. I think I, for a while I was, you know, I was I was having a lot of stuff going on at the university, so I was kind of mm. glad that it that they didn't really follow through, but. Yeah, I think it would be kind of entertaining still <laughs> to to you know have a debate. His but he but you know the thing is is he's a little bit disingenuous because he wants a debate around a very specific proposition, which mm -hmm. is like that if you don't quickly eliminate fossil fuels, then that will lead to climate catastrophe. Uh, you know, like the rapid elimination of fossil fuels. So he's basically saying, I have to take a position that says that I believe that I'm going to argue that without the rapid elimination of fossil fuels, we will have climate catastrophe. And I mean, I don't even know how do I define climate catastrophe and what do you mean by the rapid elimination of fossil fuels? Because the reality is that nobody is arguing for the rapid elimination of fossil fuels, the IPCC reports aren't saying that. What they're saying is that we need to rapidly decarbonize and we need to stop bringing on new resources of fossil fuels because, for one thing, 
the whole this whole decarbonization process is going to cause uh, uh, you know millions or billions of dollars of stranded assets. So it doesn't make sense to make these investments. But also, if you do, then you're saying that you're basically guaranteeing that there will we will continue to have emissions well into the future. And the goal should be to reduce those emissions permanently. So these are not a meet, you know, it's not like a rapid elimination timeline. And the reality is, is that our entire civilization is wrapped up in fossil fuels. That my mm. clothes, my headset, mm-hmm. you know, my hat, everything, yeah. my my couch, you know, our food, mm. our medicine is is mm. tied up. Petrochemicals, all that mm. is tied up to to the oil industry because it was very cheap, right? It became a yep. very cheap resource. So yeah. it's not a really it's not really a fair proposition. It's not one that I'm comfortable with. You know, I really want to just debate the claims that he makes in his book, which I think are misleading and are making people think that climate activists want to destroy the world, take everything from them, not let human flourishing happen, whatever that means, Mm. you know, and and that climate, you know, climate, people who care about the climate and the IPCC Mm. people want to increase suffering. And that's, that's not, this is not the truth. Yeah, I guess. And that blends into like, um, what we were spoke about earlier, like the hypocrisy and stuff. And I'm glad that you mentioned like our clothes and all of these things are made of, because if I speak to my activist friends, they go like, you know, um, fuck oil companies and stuff, but then they have like the newest iPhone and I go like, <laughs> well, <laughs> there's a bit of a, like, you know, we can talk about this stuff. Right. Um, or like, for yeah. example, I have a zero waste shop where I live about five minutes away from me, which I love. I can take my glasses. I can go there. Um, everything is fresh and stuff. Um, mm. and they sort of buy everything at Tesco's. Tesco's is like, I think Walmart in America and all of these companies. Yeah. Um, yeah. so I go, Hmm, there is a lot to debate there, but I'm glad you brought it up because one of my bullet points for our talk today was like, okay, I'm more of a guy. I think I get that no one has to reproduce fossil fuels, but surely we can't just hit the magic button and tomorrow everyone is off fossil fuels. I think the world will break down at the end of the day and all of the like third world countries wouldn't have any access to cheap energy anymore um to to like get to the end of the episode if there is one thing for the bitcoiners who are still skeptical because in the back of their head they have this narrative of like oh you know um those are like all gretas standing there with like signs and not doing anything or something like this what would be your message for them to get started and try and have an open mind to discover that different rabbit hole apart from the whole rabbit hole with bitcoin there let's see i I'm really bad at this question because <laughs> I don't have any resource off right yeah. in front of me. I know, but there's a there's a really nice group of people on Telegram that are that's a Bitcoin mm. or environmentalism group, and I think that's nice. a really good resource because you can just go in there and ask, and they'll tell you like, oh yeah, read read this article, or read this. Uh, Wait, they're, they're like Bitcoin environmentalist group. Yeah, yeah, it's on oh, Telegram. That's really cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Really it's cool. a small group, but yeah, they're really cool people, and I I mm. hang out in there with them sometimes. Or I'm, in, I mean, I'm in the channel, but you know, I chat mm. with them. It's great because Bitcoin is always find a way to get together and and discuss their their interests, right? Whether it's um, environmentalism or politics or anything like that. It, you know, we're very good at creating spaces for each other. So yeah, that's really positive. Yeah, people, I mean, different people have written essays and there's like green Bitcoiners out there who have written stuff. I just can't yeah. remember their names. I'm, you know, it's such a, it's really bad of me. No, I you mean, and me both, Margot, I can never remember a name. <laughs> we just know the profile pictures, my own name. Yeah. Uh, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I mean, my stuff, my writings, I guess might be helpful. Mm-hmm. But I think definitely if you're really interested, you should join this Telegram group. And I can oh, cool. give you a link yeah, to it. Amazing. You can put in the yeah, your, we can put it in the show notes. notes as well. Yeah, because yeah. I think that's really the best place because that they're really. I mean, that's where everything is happening in that mm. group. I think for the most part. So I would say, yeah, join that Telegram group and ask them questions. They're all really enthusiastic people. 
It's also a great resource for me because I have to scrap through like all of my book mods every time I need to write an article about why mining is good for the environment. So that's like, <laughs> yeah. a, that's like a star somewhere in my bookmarks to get in and ask. Yeah. <laughs> Margot, it's been brilliant having you on. Thank you for your time. Um, I've learned a lot and um, it's been an interesting conversation. So thank you. Yeah. Yeah. It was great having you on, Marco. And for anyone listening, um, make sure to check out the links in the show notes. Um, and Marco, you've also been at a few events in Europe, right? So who knows? They might be seeing you at the next Bitcoin event. Yeah, hopefully. I was supposed to be at a conference in Wales, but unfortunately the conference got cancelled. It was going to be oh, no. in yeah. May. So I won't be going to the UK this spring after all. But we'll see mm. maybe in the summer or the fall. I'll get invited out there again. It was a lot of fun being at the UK Bitcoin conference in Edinburgh. Mm. So I would love to do that again. Yeah. Oh, thanks for coming on then. We'll see you soon then. Yeah, thank you both. Take care.